BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yep. Monday edition of the pod. A little different schedule this week because we had a immediate reaction pod to the Jimmy Butler trade that we dropped on Saturday. Went almost an hour talking just about that trade. I thought we had uh, a lot of things to to discuss, including where Philly goes from here uh, that I thought uh, was a really interesting discussion. So please check that out if you haven't listened yet. Uh, But we're going to start here because we're getting into the middle of the week. We're going to do half of the Western Conference here and let's start with uh one of the most interesting drama filled teams in basketball the houston rockets the latest reporting came out over the weekend and now tim mcmahon has tweeted that rockets players and coaches believe that carmel anthony has played his final game for the franchise apparently with the emergence of two-way player gary clark who has been solid so far but uh was not exactly who uh, i would guess Melo envisioned himself losing time to it appeared that there was not going to be as much of a role for carmelo uh, but it does seem like to me guys if you're just reading the tea leaves that this is more of a rockets decision than a mellow decision that they're just sort of like oh we want to do the right thing for you because you're not going to play but uh yeah you know we kind of would rather just have the roster spot on someone who's not going to have a you know a negative nine net rating yeah and i think it's it's interesting to hear where chris paul and james harden fall on this because i think I think Houston's being really smart and that they're attacking this early, whereas with OKC last year, I think all of us just kept expecting Melo to get better eventually, and then and then we said that he'd be good in the playoffs, and he wasn't good in the playoffs, so Houston's tried this out for, I don't know, 10 or so games, and I think they've realized that it's not working at all, so they decided to go another rec- direction, so I'm, I'm interested to hear how the other players respond to that decision. Well, and so you have watched them uh, the last week or so, obviously he uh, was bedridden, no doubt, uh, with an illness these last few games, and now we'll not be making the trip with the team to denver uh but before that what did you see from him what was such a big problem with him uh you know in maybe a little greater detail than we've been able to talk about so far well i think most of the people when they talk about Melo talk about his uh troubles switching on to players but i think he's just as bad off ball on defense as he is on ball and he, he's terrible as a rim protector he just swats guys like with that vicious swipe that he uses instead of walling up and using any verticality and then sometimes he'll just choose not to rotate on, on a on a play and the defensive rating with him on the floor is 114 and with him off the floor actually is 105 which is like a top five team in the league so I think he's at the heart of a lot of Houston's issues defensively so I think you could see a big improvement with him off the floor but I mean and then just offensively he never got to the foul line he wasn't hit his three very well 32 percent from three and he had a white side-esque uh five assists in 10 games so he wasn't passing at all either so he was he wasn't really helping out an offense and he was crushing the defense so it seems like I, I think they're going to be much 
much better without him. So I don't know what you guys think of that. Well, I mean, I watched a, a fair portion of their game on Sunday against the Pacers, and I don't know whether it was James Harden looking better physically. Chris Paul is still doing with he told Tim McMahon that it's tendonitis, so that's worth watching as yeah, well. That, that's what the Rockets, by this, the way, to, to be clear. Yes, his his elbow issue. So to me, this was the most like the Rockets on both ends of the floor that they've looked all year. The ball was popping a little bit more. Harden was more aggressive at one point. He took some aggressive heat check pull-up shots, and they were getting great looks early for Quint Capella, and they were bouncing around a little bit more defensively. So it looked a lot more like it. And Gary Clark being a part of this rotation is another reminder that you don't necessarily need, and I don't know Gary Clark's game well enough to know if he's like way better than being an undrafted guy who made who made their team as a two-way guy, but it's not always about how good a player is. It's how well they can fit around what you already have. And I think that was what Melo's problem with this team was, is that he couldn't fit in the box that they need for everybody that's not James Harden or Chris Paul on either end of the floor. Yeah. If I could yeah, just... Go oh, go ahead. Yeah, the, what I was just going to say um, about his stats, uh, you know, it wasn't really anything where like, oh, teams were just shooting incredibly well when he was on the floor. And teams shot 4% better from three or two on the floor, but that's not a crazy number. Uh, a lot of it was just that they couldn't get a defensive rebound when he was out there. And part of that's not his fault. If he's playing with the second unit, they haven't really had an NBA quality backup big man. Uh, and then the fouling went way up too. I mean, those were the big reasons uh, why they were so much worse with him on the floor from a statistical standpoint yeah i mean they're last in the league in uh opponent free throw rate right now so Mello definitely has a lot to do with that and as far as gary clark i mean in college he was one of the best defenders in college basketball probably the best and his issues were more that he's really old and he's a little bit undersized and he didn't have much of an offensive game so it seems like the defense is translating pretty well and he's shooting more in the rocket system he's not shooting great but at least he's willing to take them so it's it's interesting to see i think they're probably going to end up converting him at some point from his two wet yeah and that might be an interesting negotiation we've seen that uh, become a, a stalemate you have the ability to convert a guy into any nba contract that you and hey hey they could give him three years because uh you know it's not like uh they use their uh mini mid-level exception at all uh but yeah I, I mean you have to imagine he's like he closed this game for them against san antonio and his three ball you know you mentioned his offensive game his three ball looked pretty good to me he had an aggressive drive as well so i i mean i think we'll see whether the ball continues to go in for him but he's shooting it like he really means it uh and you know more so even than uh james ennis who has looked pretty rough from downtown in the last couple of games he tried to take one of those super deep threes and uh did not look particularly comfortable doing that um but really, I think it, the defense seems to have gotten better. You know, they really haven't had one of these absolutely flammable performances since they started that road trip, basically since Harden came back. Uh, but the offense, uh, until this last game against the Pacers, uh, has started to run into some issues. Yeah, and I'm actually not worried much at all about um, their offense overall. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but they're just not making a lot of shots. They're 25th in the league in three-point percentage, and I looked it up. They have the highest percentage of their shots in the NBA would be labeled as open. So they're getting a ton of open looks. Eric Gordon's shooting 23% from three. Michael Carter-Williams won't be in part of the rotation anymore gerald green's 26 percent uh gary clark's 30 percent chris paul's down to 34 percent which is low for him so and i think you're seeing some defenses uh specifically like sag more in on chris paul and james harden on their drives especially the spurs are really clogging gaps and they're in the outside guys to uh beat them more so I, and chris paul and james harden haven't been nearly as efficient attacking the rim as usual i think harden's down to 49 percent and paul's at 48 percent at the rim do, do you think they look all right physically do you think that's something that's going to get back to the levels that they've been at in the past 
gas well it's the issues are twofold obviously number one that there's a lot less space there and, and that's always going to be the case against the spurs who have done one of the better jobs protecting the room although it's not like the spurs had some awesome rim protectors out there most of the time with, with uh two of their centers uh, unavailable in that game against houston but no harden does not look as good going to the room i mean there are a lot of just lefty layups that he's just kind of rushing he doesn't seem to be getting the same explosion he doesn't seem to be getting the foul calls at the rim and these shots are are just like ones that you think hey this is james harden he's gonna make this he always makes this and he just hasn't been and i you know i'm not sure if that's gonna get better he does visibly look heavier to me uh but it's definitely a statistical aberration he can't continue to be this bad because he's never been below 60 percent from the uh area around the basket so far in his career and he's not gonna be under 50 percent. but it is possible especially given you know the visible changes in his body that he's moved into a new phase and then paul uh you know he's got this elbow tendonitis that could be hurting a shot he did hit a few threes uh in that san antonio game uh but he definitely you know does not look comfortable around the room he didn't really even right at the rim as much last year either so i I'm not sure. I mean, there's, and then there's the hitting shots. I agree with you. I mean, they're getting some open looks, but I mean, who is the awesome shooter on this team? We have Gerald Green. You know, he'll shoot better. Gordon will shoot better. Those guys you mentioned, they're in the 20s. Uh, but James Ennis, eh, you know, I mean, he's actually hitting. 39 percent but he's not shooting that many tucker is you know again not a huge volume guy uh i think they actually miss ryan anderson a lot both due to in the regular season at least because of how deep he could space he and gordon are really the only guys who can shoot those super deep threes so i do think they'll get better but i also think that there are some issues because this team you know to be where they want to be they've got to be a top two offense top three offense in the league and i would say it's more likely than not to me that how are they going to play the rest of the year i don't think they're going to be a top two unit in the league the rest of the year just based on what we've seen so far here well and it would have been hard for them to keep up last year's pace i mean james Harden, james harden's iso stats from last year were just sure. ridiculous i think he was at like 1.22 points per possession in iso so that wasn't going to keep up and i think this team's actually like pretty susceptible to injury just as far as their first uh i think 12 games now gordon's missed three games paul's missed two harden's missed three and, and you know that isn't all that many but like when they only have two out of three of those guys the creation burden falls pretty heavily on the other two and that's an issue they don't have much even like the other players on their team like pj tucker has like a really low usage he's not going to do much attacking to close out james ennis same thing gary clark's uh gerald green so they, they're really relying on those three for creation so that's going to be something to monitor i i'd agree with you that they're not going to be as efficient as last year but i i don't know i don't i guess i still think that james harden looks pretty good physically i mean maybe he's a little bit worse than last year but i saw some pretty quick movement today he, he really beat victor oladipo really bad on a crossover uh today so i don't know i i, I tend to think he's going to start making more of those shots around the rim so i i guess i'd probably um more often about their chances than you are what do you think about capella i think he hasn't looked as good he had that right foot issue uh, in the preseason hasn't looked to have the same touch around the room and then i think defensively he's been getting beat on switches much more than we saw a year ago yeah he's definitely getting beat on more switches um offensively i think his roles have become a little bit harder just because teams don't respect the shooters on the outside as much like gary clark you said like he looks confident shooting it but teams don't respect him at all over there so a lot of the times the opposite wing is crashing in and you know making him do more more on those roles rather than just catch and dunk. He was assisted on 73% of his baskets this year. Last year was like 82%. So he's getting spoon-fed more. His assist percentage has doubled. So when he catches it on those short rolls, teams are you know packing the paint, making him pass it out. And his efficiency is a little bit down. He's down to 62% true shooting percentage. He was at 65% last year. But I mean, nothing too bad physically. He banged knees with somebody today. So maybe it's a little bumps and bruises. But uh, I think he's going to be fine in the, in, in the long run. Yeah. I think it's part of the shooting from the outside that's hurt them over 
overall, but um, not quite as efficient as last year. Well, so we talked about this on uh, our Time to Panic episode last week, but I want you to weigh in. What would you say they're going to pull? Like, they will play at the pace of a blank win team the rest of the year. What would you put that number at? Well, without Mello, I think I'd probably put it around low 50s, so maybe 53, 54 around there. Um, I don't know if that's high or not. Which, by the way, we need a second episode of the Time to Panic podcast. You guys can get enough to get to enough teams on that. We we need more of that. <laughs> well, we'll have to get Ethan a, another paper bag, and uh, maybe he'll agree to co- come on the show again. Yeah. the The problem is, I don't think we can do any less time per team with the three of us just enjoying talking too much. <laughs> Um, all right, well, I want to talk about this game against San Antonio, and, and we can transition into San Antonio. But first, this is from our friends at SeatGeek. I'm making my annual trip to Milwaukee when I go back to Chicago for Thanksgiving, since the local Chicago basketball team is not really exciting enough to take my wife to. But we scored awesome tickets to a Nuggets-Bucks game at the new Fiserv Forum a week from today via our good friends at SeatGeek. And once again, just their interface is so easy. My wife rarely goes to games. I wanted to actually treat her to some pretty good tickets. And so I just looked in the lower bowl, found the biggest, darkest green dot that I could find, clicked on it, and bought the tickets. And I even kind of clicked around a little bit elsewhere in the lower bowl to kind of see oh is there anything else that you know i think is better and guess what like the ones that were not as dark green weren't as good at deals uh, and i danny has worked in the ticket industry i know he really is usually in agreement probably always in agreement with their algorithms and i felt the same way with my experience so now i trust them and i can just buy tickets in 90 seconds instead of 30 minutes where i'm just stressing out about getting the right ticket or that i didn't go to this one site because they aggregate ticket selling sites together on SeatGeek. They also guarantee every purchase so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And if you haven't tried SeatGeek yet, which would be remarkable because they were our first ever sponsor of the podcast over three years ago, amazingly, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase via the familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember CAPSPACE. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's promo code CAPSPACE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets and let them know with that CAPSPACE code that you came from us so i, I want to shift to san antonio uh, did we ever give the fundamentals on the rockets i guess we didn't huh? i just launched right into it uh so maybe we should do that first uh they are now five and seven but four and three in their last seven still a negative 5.9 net rating which is 23rd in the nba they are the 28th ranked offense which is unbelievable even after this big performance against the pacers and 20th in defense but still projected for 50 wins by 538 which incorporates their preseason projections as well um but why don't we turn now to the spurs danny where are they at san antonio they're now seven and four four and two since the last time we covered them here plus one net rating puts them 15th so right around the middle of the league 12th in offense 18th in defense which is a big jump from where they were they were 30th the last time we did this and they did not get a similarly big jump in terms of their 538 projections 39 wins ties them for 10th with seems like they're always going to be tied with the clippers I, almost every time i check it that's how it is yeah and you had some observations uh on how their offense has looked uh, so far that i thought were pretty interesting yeah, it, it's fascinating. So they ha- their offense is 12th. So then the top half of the league, despite having an, I'll say not modern shot distribution, and there are reasons for that, and we'll get into it. So uh, 
47% of San Antonio shots are from mid-range. That's number one in the league in frequency by almost 10%, which is just massive. Like, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain how big that is. And then only 25% of their shots are from three. That's lowest in the league by about a half a percent. And then they're lowest in the league at attempts at the rim before, I don't know how Boston did tonight, but it was, I did it right before that. So you're sitting there going, okay, they're taking, like, they're uh, taking a traditionally inefficient shot mix and they have a top half offense. How does that happen? A couple big things. Most importantly to me, they never turn the ball over. Their turnover rate, 12% is spectacular. And that just means they're getting a shot on a higher proportion of possessions. They are, even though those are generally considered less efficient shots, they're making 41% of the mid-rangers. They're making, sorry, 40%, 41% of their threes, 40% of their mid-rangers. And both of those are good. Threes are ridiculous, 41% there. And they're middle of the road getting into the line. So they're 20th in effective field goal percentage, but they never turn the ball over. And they're pretty solid and everything else. So that makes the difference to push them into one of the, you know, top half offenses. Yeah, and Aldridge is one of the lowest turnover players of all time. I think I, it was last year that I had the stat that he had like, you know, one turnover on like over 100 post-ups or something just completely insane. Um, yeah, or it might have been like, you know, he had a thousand, a thousand post-touches and like six turnovers. I mean, it was just like unbelievably low. Uh, and then DeRozan, one of his overlooked strengths has been avoidance of turnovers uh, as well and those guys have kind of been the same guys DeRozan's numbers very similar a few more assists um but it was interesting in this game he really got taken out of it i thought and i mean liam you you saw the game too it was mostly actually their strategy was to get the switch and get harden onto him and harden actually just like stopped him every time yeah and harden's always been a guy that has a really strong base he's pretty good on switches he, he had a good uh defensive game against demar Derozan too doing the same thing so aldridge hasn't looked quite as effective in the post i don't know if maybe he's not oh yeah strong well i was or... i was talking about Derozan actually if i said aldridge i, I misspoke but yeah i was, I was talking about DeRozan uh being stopped by by Harden in in uh in that game oh, on Saturday yeah and, and exactly that's what I was saying I mean DeRozan normally gets pretty difficult looks for mid-range but these were especially difficult uh I think you pointed out like DeRozan's not a guy that's going to beat you with speed going you know going to the rim so he's more of a back you down and uh take advantage of you know weaker wing defenders so this is definitely a bad matchup for him so I wouldn't be too worried about DeMar DeRozan based off this performance and if I could just touch on one more thing from your turnover conversation I think the their lack of turnovers has really propped up their defense too uh to made them they're close to league average now so that's definitely a big advantage of their low turnover approach as well yeah they're not exactly flying down the floor to get back in transition defense you know Danny Green isn't on this team anymore Kawhi is not on this team anymore so yeah they do have to rely on better floor balance in those situations and but I, I do think that the Spurs deserved some credit in this game by going away from DeRozan uh rather than just letting him continue to hammer you know against guys who are pretty strong I mean Houston is not a good matchup for DeRozan because pretty much all the guys that they're going to throw out there are strong and that's what he relies on and I thought that Derek White while he didn't have an unbelievable statistical game uh he was plus 20 and he did actually it was a pretty good statistical game kind of think of it 14 points on uh 12 shooting possessions and he had eight assists and I thought he really has given them for the first time since Tony Parker you know was healthy even a couple of years ago this is only a few games but he's actually like able to get into the lane on the pick and roll and give them a little bit of offensive pace too because DeRozan 
Aldridge, those guys are very deliberate. Like uh, they work slowly. They can get decent shots, but they kind of, they're slow enough that they allow the defense to load up. Whereas White can get into semi-transition. He can actually get, uh, break the paint. Uh, force guys to come over and help a little bit uh and just like get more offensive movement for them and, and i thought that was really key i thought he looked good he threw some really nice passes this beautiful alley-oop to uh aldridge out of, out of a timeout um so i i really liked uh, what i saw from him in, in this one and uh you know I, I think they were missing him but it, he came back earlier than expected uh from that plantar fascia issue yeah, and he had a really good year last year in the G League. Uh, they won the championship, I believe. And that's this is kind of the player that he's been going back to college. He's you know pretty creative off the dribble. He's not an explosive athlete, but he's got a decent enough first step, and he makes really good decisions. And they need that with the guards that they have. Patty Mills and Bryn Forbes, they're not creators at all. And DeRozan's going to do most of the creating, but even attacking the closeout and making the play off the dribble in addition to the big, that's something they've been lacking. So I think White's going to help a lot, especially since he looks pretty good physically. Not as good was uh, DeRozan's defense in this one. Now, Harden really really struggled he was seven out of 27 but you know the spurs weren't they don't like to switch against harden but there were times when they had mills and bellinelli out there that DeRozan just had to be the primary matchup on harden and basically harden is a good enough operator and pick and roll that if you have DeRozan on him he's just going to make it be a switch because he's just going to get over the screen DeRozan is not going to be able to stay with him and rear view contest enough and he's going to harden is then going to engage the big and then he'll back it out and be able to go one-on-one against the big and that's not really what the spurs want to do but with DeRozan you know much like Kyrie especially earlier in his career basically any pick and roll that you set with him is going to end up being a switch so that that hasn't looked too good for them um a couple other notes uh, on the Spurs in this one uh with Pirtle and Gasol both out they had to go to a choosing Metu as the backup center and it, he didn't really look ready unfortunately which is not a surprise he's a second round center uh didn't look comfortable trying to finish around the rim unless he just had a a wide open dunk you know committed a bunch of the usual fouls against Harden which you know the Spurs are drilled so much to not commit Bertans actually it didn't look too good in that regard either you had a couple of reach-ins on Harden a quick interjection while we're talking about second round centers that aren't quite ready I think an underrated element for Houston I mean granted Melo's been a bigger negative but Isaiah Hartenstein just isn't ready yet and I don't know when Nene's coming back but I think they could get they could be helped by more capable backup center play eventually yeah Hartenstein he, he tries hard on the offensive glass but he just can't finish to save his life again if he's unless he's got a wide open dunk uh and I think he's actually gotten better executing their system like he's trying to get out on the floor uh, and deny uh, when in the midst of their switches try to push guys further out on the floor but if he does get caught one-on-one against uh anybody with ball handling skills he's going to get blown by yeah, and he's not much of a vertical rim spacer either. I think in the game today against the Pacers, they threw a lob to him, and he just couldn't get up high enough to finish it. So he, like like you guys said, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be long-term for them, and I think they'll definitely be searching for centers on the buyout market if Nene doesn't get healthy. Last thing on the Spurs, Rudy Gay still missing time with that right heel injury, and that's a big concern. He missed 25 games with that a year ago, and the initial discussion was, oh, he's just missing time for maintenance and for rest and pop downplayed it well it's been a week now and you know it looks like especially with this being an injury he's already struggled with uh really going to be something to monitor because they desperately need uh, rudy gay and his scoring and i think gay has looked great when he's actually been available uh but uh and having white back does help a little bit uh but i i do think uh that's going to be something to watch for the spurs uh let's go next to the denver nuggets who had a hard-fought loss they've had three of those in a row now 
to the Bucks. Uh, although I thought the Bucks largely outplayed them uh, today. Danny, would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. I, I mean, there were certainly moments in the game, and the Nuggets look good overall. And being outplayed by the Bucks is is not you know a condemnation. But yeah, I would agree with that. Let's do the fundamentals though before we forget, because we often do. I often do. Denver. <laughs> I was being polite, Nate. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Denver nine and nine and four, five and three since last time we did this. Those three hard fought losses that you brought up. Fifth in net rating at plus seven point three. Eighth in offense, still fourth in defense. And five thirty eight projects them to have fifty one wins, which would put them fourth in the Western Conference. This has been a very eventful week for the or two weeks for the Nuggets. I mean, originally we were thinking we we're going to do a big breakdown of Jamal Murray's forty eight point game in that win over Boston, but we both watched the game against the Bucks today, so we're not going to focus on the a nice stat from Dan Feldman that he is the eighth youngest player ever to score forty eight in a game. One of the ones younger is Charlie Villanueva, which is enjoyable to me and then the other thing which is kind of a lead into this game was the adjustment that Mike Malone made in terms of the starting lineup so Tory Craig had been starting Adam Morris had a nice thread on Denver or on Twitter about the challenges offensively of playing Millsap and Craig together and Tory Craig went from starting and not necessarily playing a ton of minutes to a DNP CD in this game and they started Wancho in his stead yeah the the end for Craig was in that Boston game when he played the first three minutes of the game they went down 10 to 2 and then he never played again uh and i think they did start him against memphis but ran into some big time spacing issues as morris noted as well and they also lost uh, at the last second uh, on a Karis Laverse shot to Brooklyn uh, on Friday night. That was really, you know, that's probably the real bad loss in this. You know, that's what, and their defense still up until today hasn't been bad. Uh, but, you know, that Brooklyn game was, that was like the old Nuggets. You know, I mean, these, these lost out of the road to Memphis. That's not that bad of a loss. Milwaukee's been playing incredibly well. That's not that bad of a loss. Uh, although they had some late game foibles that we'll talk about. Um, so, I mean, you know they were nine and one everyone was like oh they will make the playoffs and, and you know i think they probably will but uh the idea that they were going to just cruise the number two seed in the west you know that every every issue they ever had was fixed this is mike malone's dream defense uh etc etc you know i i wasn't quite buying that i think they're improved i think a lot of guys on this team have gotten better i think that their offense can get a lot better because of how bad so many guys have shot on this team i mean there's like four pretty good shooters all shooting under 30 percent from three for them right now uh but you know i think they're gonna settle in you know kind of more in the same kind of high 40s wins type of team that they've often been and uh you know especially with will barton out they've struggled to find uh the third guy though they are starting actually wancho now and i thought he's been playing pretty well he's actually the one guy in this team who's hitting a shot yeah overall for the season wancho is shooting 42 percent on his three-pointers which on about three attempts a game and as his minutes go up you know he's at 19 for the season but he played 30 in the game on sunday so we'll see how that moves on. He was two for three. And just having somebody who teams have to defend capably out there. And it led, I, and this is something that happens a lot with teams. When you move a guy from bench, from the bench to the starting lineup, it jumbles up the rotations throughout just because the, the, the dynamics are different. And so they ended up with some of these bizarre lineups, like when they were playing Wancho and Lyles together, which, you know, it's kind of a necessary evil because this team doesn't yeah. have enough forwards. Yeah, or enough shooting. But, I mean, those are two guys who at least, you know, can space the floor. Yeah. They had, 
they yeah. had a lineup and, 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 real uh, briefly at the end of the first that did pretty well with Millsap at center and Wancho mm-hmm. and Lyles as well. But then then they went to Palmer. He actually was good in this game. We talk more about that later. He was. Yeah. Can we take a brief moment to talk about the Bucks just because we happened to watch a game when Brook Lopez went completely oh, insane? Man. And I feel like we're never going to ever talk about already. it on the show. He's had three games already with six or more made threes this year. Yeah, and a lot of these, at least three that I can recall, were 28 feet plus. They were way, way past the line. And... I think a lot of guys, I think more players should be shooting from there if it, you don't have to sacrifice your mechanics. Like, I think LeBron should be shooting from that far out because when I look at his shot, he's just like, it's the same thing. I think it's going to go in at a pretty similar rate. And so we'll see that moving forward. Also, Bledsoe was great in this game, but we talked about that a lot when we talked about Bucks Warriors. So we don't need to go there. We can go back to the Nuggets. I just want to mention those two things. So I thought that this game was very illustrative, both of the strides that Jokic has made defensively and also the limitations that he will never be able to improve on. I mean, a lot of these Lopez threes, because he, he was guarding Lopez and in the starting lineup, I don't know where else you put him, right? I mean, he's he's is he going to guard Giannis? Well, some centers can guard Giannis. And actually, I thought Plumlee did a pretty good job on him. Uh, but Jokic, you know, is really too slow to guard Giannis uh, one-on-one. Uh, and so then he's going to have to guard a three-point shooter and with Lopez spotting up I mean he hit a couple of 30 footers in this game but you know even in the corner Jokic was doing a good job of trying to help trying to sprint out to the corner and there's been plenty of centers who have struggled against Lopez uh but he you know he just couldn't quite get there he had, he made some really nice plays like he had a play where Giannis was fronted in in the post late in the clock they lobbed it to him and he was able to get over there while the ball was in the air and force a 24 second violation you know so that was like he's definitely trying to get out there they have him further out on the floor again this year and that you know it wasn't really pick and roll necessarily that was killing the Nuggets in this game as you know they gave up just an incredible offensive performance to the Bucks throughout most of the game that Bucks had a 130 offensive rating uh and then you know so the bucks weren't really attacking and pick and roll but just having a stretch center that lopez had to guard uh you know i mean and so that's all right any team that's going to play a stretch center uh is going to cause problems now the difference here a little bit was that at least like lopez can guard Jokic pretty well in the post he couldn't guard him in pick and pop which you know i thought they could have gone to that more uh but no so that's just it's going to be hard again i mean he's taken the next step i think this team as a whole has taken the next step i believe that they are very close now to maximizing what they can be as a defensive team and you know the point never was oh man this guy just sucks at defense he's so bad he's hopeless he has terrible instincts you know he's not Ennis Kanter out there that was never the point Uh, the point is just that if you're talking about this team getting into the second round of the playoffs getting to a conference finals the competition is just so difficult in terms of pick and roll defense and floor spacing that I think against the best teams it's going to be very difficult uh, for them Uh, especially when those teams you know say the Warriors for example able go to their best lineups Jokic has at least one but probably two of the elements that less athletic centers can use to survive that he has I mean he's such an insanely smart basketball player he has good instincts but he's also just smart so I think he can see a lot more than most than most guys can you see it more on the offensive end but it's true defensively too and he's done a better job this season of playing defense with intention and you talked about that like trying to get out to shooters kind of seeing it and the challenge for him especially as the league is evolving is that there are still elements of this that are physical constraints you know how quickly can you get from point a to point b even if you can anticipate it you still have to actually physically get there 
And as you said, the challenges in the later rounds of the playoffs as the personnel gets superior and as generally the personnel gets better at attacking what Denver doesn't do well will create real problems for them. And Millsap can cover up some of that stuff. He can't cover up all of it. And it would be in some ways a good problem for Denver to have that if they're if they can make it that far, I I think they had a pretty good season. But they're you know, if we want to think about this as like, are they going to be a championship contender? I would say no, but I think they can have a wonderful run without that. And you talked about how their their shooters aren't necessarily hitting a ton of shots. And I think that was another another kind of part of this game is they're the different elements of Jamal Murray. Like there are a lot of things. I still love Jamal Murray. He's I, I as one of my favorite young guards in the league. But you know, in this game, he only took one three. Bledsoe was doing a great job of denying him, but also his limitations as a passer. I mean, you and I did the the first game where we really pinpointed the Bucks' defensive character trait was in that Celtics game when what Boston started doing in the third quarter was penetrating and then looking to the opposite side not necessarily the corner but off in the corner but above the break sometimes too and it did it seemed like Mason Plumlee was better at identifying that when when he had the ball in his hands than Jamal Murray was yeah no there are a lot of times that, I mean the Nuggets didn't have like a bad offensive performance in this game uh, by any means but yeah there were still a lot of times when they would drive to the nail and help would come over from the weak side wing because that's what the Bucks do and they just could not get the ball there um a few other notes Paul Millsap was great early on in this one he was five of eight from three he hit a couple of pick and pop threes the, the Nuggets actually hit four pick and pop threes in the first quarter between Millsap and Jokic uh but I thought that they went a little bit more to Millsap than they should have like Millsap is great to go to in when he has an advantage matchup and he was actually able to beat Ilyasova pretty badly uh and then but there were a few times when they gave him the ball and he had Giannis on him and he still tried to take Giannis and, and that's just not going to work like Giannis is going to stop Paul Millsap probably at any point in his career but certainly at this point and you know I still have thought that maybe the Nuggets should try more uh like four one pick and rolls to try and get Millsap the ball off the dribble able to back down a, a smaller player but you know we haven't seen much of that from them uh and then I felt that they really should have gone to more pick and roll late. I felt that it turned out not being correct because Eric Bledsoe was just awesome in pick and roll defense and, and uh, causing Murray problems, although they maybe could have gone to Harris in a pick and roll too. Um, and then, you know, to try to get Jokic a pick and pop, he did miss one of those. Uh, Murray did hit one foul line jumper on Lopez, especially late in the game. You know, a good wide open two point jumper is actually not bad when it kind of just becomes more important to be scoring every time as opposed to, you know, maximizing your return over the course of a game you know i think an open two-point jumper is a good shot in the last three minutes or so of a close game much more so than it is earlier when you know you can kind of get the added benefit of threes over time if you take enough of them um they also had a a few failures late i mean this is just for whatever reason under malone and who knows what he instructed the team they get the two for one six second differential they're down three now after getting the two for one Millsap uh was drove baseline on a dunk and then they immediately foul Chris Middleton with 31 seconds left in the game. He hits two free throws. It's back to five and the game is over. Like it was just no, re- and you'll remember there was a, a time when they like waited a really long time to foul. I think it was in OKC a couple of years ago. Like they've had three or four of these incidents where they just have no rhyme or reason to why they're fouling when they're down uh, at the end of games. Uh, and so this was just a, another example of that. 
It was, and, it, and it's frustrating, especially when the person you're choosing to foul with that differential is Chris Milton, who's a really good free throw shooter. So there isn't even that benefit of, oh, well, maybe if it's this guy, the numbers are different. You know, that's sort of a circumstance. I thought Denver's offense was really stagnant late in this game, and that's I've seen that before a little bit in the game against the Nets, and then the Celtics make it. But the Celtics and the Bucks make teams stagnant, so yeah. I don't want to say I, that's I, all I mean, on Denver's shoulders. You're going to look stagnant when the play calls for you to make a pass, and then uh, Eric Bledsoe gets through the screen and denies the guy and now you have to just go make a play yeah. right like i mean a lot of that is, is uh you know and i thought they could have actually been a little bit more basic than they were at the end and just oh absolutely the, the mismatch with uh with lopez Agreed. Yeah, there, there were some some low-hanging fruit there. And I think we should talk a little bit more about Plumlee. He just fit really well in this game. I thought he made much better decisions early on. He was trying to get post-up position every once in a while, but then they kind of figured that out later on. And then defensively, they looked better with Plumlee out there than they did yeah. with with Jokic. Some of that could be personnel. You know, Milwaukee has different had different personnel out there and everything else. But, I mean, he, he had a really good game. And while I disagree with the contract, Mason Plumlee is absolutely a very good backup center, to be sure. Yeah, and they actually were playing better. They made their big comeback to get back into contact with him in the game at the start of the fourth quarter, guarding Giannis. And I thought he did a pretty good job. Again, we've seen I mean, a lot of like pure power forwards, even at this point, aren't even strong enough to deal with Giannis. So it, having a center on him who has some kind of mobility actually seems to work well. And then I, I thought Malone did finally adjust to Lopez to, to put a smaller player on him because you know I think Brooke used to be a great post-up player. Maybe he still is, but you know I, I mean if he has five post-ups this year you know i'd be surprised you know it's probably the fifth bucks game i've watched and you know i've seen him post up maybe like three times during that so he's really out there to space the floor which he's doing an awesome job at uh and in fact lopez has now hit more three-pointers this year than buck centers did all of last season um all right we got a little more to, to talk about here but let's uh, first tell you about indochino north america's leading made to measure menswear company including being the official outfitter of nate duncan's wedding Got my tux from there. My groomsmen got some really nice sport coats. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. You could just visit a showroom and have a stylist take your measurements or do the measurements yourself and send them in if you're not close to a showroom. Go to Indochino.com. You can shop online. Choose your fabric and design customizations, your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, monogram, and also take advantage of their Black Friday season. 2018's lowest prices, and this is their lowest prices because I remember last year they did the same thing you can get up to 70 percent off everything at indochino.com and you know of course how to get the absolute maximum discount use that cap space code to take advantage of black friday pricing at 70 percent off the regular price for a made to measure suit shipping is free that's indochino.com promo code cap space for up to 70 percent off once you go to a custom suit you don't go rack oh that's good i like that one i thought it said back but no it actually says rack in the copy nice job uh but seriously this is an incredible deal for a made to measure suit and make sure at indochino.com use that cap space code to let them know that you came from us let's talk about okc next uh, they are on fire until a blowout loss uh, at dallas despite had a couple of wins uh, without Russell Westbrook, including a absolute pasting of the Rockets uh, on Thursday night. They also won at Cleveland a little bit less uh, impressively and then uh, lost uh, at Dallas. What are the fundamentals for the OKC Thunder? The Thunder are now 7-5, and 5-1 five, five and one since the last 15-60. and 60. 11th in net rating at plus 3, basically. 18th in offense, 2nd in defense, and 538's projection give them 52 wins, which ties them for 2nd in the Western Conference. Yeah, that would be quite the coup if they could make it to 
the number two seed i mean really what this team has been about is that defense though they have earned every bit of being second in defense just when you watch them i mean they struggled against the mavericks but overall i mean they caused just a music like the lowest scoring game by any team all season by houston uh they just have length at nearly every position and those guys can't shoot so much uh on the other end although they're still you know 18th in offense is not bad considering how good they're defending and what their personnel is and the fact that westbrook has missed all this time as well so i'm feeling pretty good about those guys i mean we were going to do time to panic on them but then they went on this win streak but i was never really that worried about them uh since i mean they started zero and four but two of those games were without westbrook and then i think they had a couple of pretty tough games uh, right when he came back uh i did watch that game uh, against dallas couldn't take that much away from it they looked pretty tired um i did think that uh alex abrinas continues to show why it is that billy donovan just doesn't necessarily want to play him or will play him begrudgingly i mean anytime abrinas got matched up against Doncic, he just got physically overpowered very easily uh what have we seen uh from dennis Schroeder? it seems like he's been playing a little bit better lately he had such a bad start to the season but his overall numbers still aren't amazing they aren't actually before we get there oh, yeah. you talked about the the offense i want to do this stat so russell westbrook's only played 220 minutes this year okc's offensive rating is 112.6 you know that and that that doesn't use any of the filters or anything else like that but 112.6 is you know that's fine like you're not you're not freaking out if a team has a 112 offensive rating to be sure and then when russell westbrook is on the bench which is a higher proportion of their minutes so far about 98 offensive rating so that's not great and that gets into something with Schroeder and it's he's a, a really interesting example of a couple of different kind of logical problems some would call them fallacies I don't I don't really want to go that far with it and one is this idea that people remember good games a lot longer than bad games like every once in a while I just get crap from Thunder yeah. fans when he plays really well and and it's going to happen Dennis Schroeder is not a bad basketball player he he is just an inefficient basketball player who is generally not playing at that level, but he will have very good games. Obviously he did pretty well in their win against Houston, a game that, that the Rockets looked pretty ragged in and he helped contribute to that. But, and Schroeder scoring 18 points a game. So people go like, what are you talking about? Like he's scoring 18 points a game as a starter. That, that's his starter number. His, his, he's actually not scoring that much less when he's coming off the bench because he's playing a lot. But 18 points a game looks and feels different when somebody is 47 true shooting and 29% usage. And sure, his true shooting percentage, like as a starter is weighed down because he's only shooting 16% from three in those games. But it's not his overall efficiency is right in line with his career stuff, even though his three point ball hasn't been there as much. And so what you're getting from Schroeder and it's and he's been I would say when I've watched, he's been better defensively than he was most time with the Hawks. But it's not like I don't think they flipped a switch with him. And he's all of a sudden the guy that I had higher in the on draft boards than most people because I liked his defense potential. So they've needed to have somebody when Westbrook has been out, not only those first two games, but then also, you know, now that he's missing additional time. But Schroeder is not just a player in the abstract. He is a player who has his own, you know, wants and needs and who is also getting paid eleven and a half million this year, next year, and the year after. No, he's getting paid fifteen million. 15 million sorry 15 and a half million yeah. i blocked out 4 million out of kindness well <laughs> and i mean that's the thing right if the answer is hey would you rather have a waived carmelo anthony on your books for 9 million this year or would you rather have dennis Schroeder on your team 
sure you'd rather have a shooter like he's an effective backup point guard i, I think but he's also making 15 and a half million himself and then oh yeah you remember that they also had to give up a first round pick to get him right and now ray felton has actually probably been even worse uh, than he is you know they've had some under gotten some really bad runs uh when he's been on the floor and in fact it was when he was out there that they really got killed uh, against dallas uh, uh particularly by dallas's backups so you know and felton could just be done he's 34 this year you know it's, probably, it's really surprising that he's been able to be as effective as long as he has been frankly uh and so you know they did really need a backup point guard and you know i think he's filling a hole there but you know for to say even if shooter were playing really well this year which you know he's not i think he's gotten better defensively he deserves credit for that but uh you know his closeouts he's a little bit more engaged defensively than he was as the main engine of a terrible hawks team last year but even if he was playing pretty well so far this year he's having a few good games that doesn't the whole reason why we thought it was a bad idea to get him had to do with number one you had to give up a draft pick to do that and the fact that he's making 15.5 million and he's still probably overpaid on that contract and there's no one else really i think who was going to be giving up a first round pick for him and so you know at the very least maybe it could have been a second to get him or something like that but it was just and, and you know they did pay the hawks money too to take on carmelo's salary for this year and avoid having to stretch him so you know that's part of the price for Schroeder as well but i think the the hawks were ecstatic to get off of Schroeder and also get a first round pick at the same time uh, so you know we'll see we're not going to know and really you know the reason you get Schroeder is for the playoffs right all right you might keep them afloat okay when Westbrook is out but if they lose in the first round again they could have lost in the first round without Schroeder and you know not had to give up a first round pick and not had uh, his contract on the books going forward so it's way too early to say because he's had a few good games that like oh no I we're such morons for saying that that was a bad trade for them like you're not really going to know until 2022 probably but certainly at least like you know let's see if he like really helps them where they're trying to get better in the playoffs uh, and you know I, I think that the big criticism of that move initially was well can he play next to Westbrook in a closing lineup in a playoff game because you're paying 15.5 million he should probably be able to do that and I think the early returns are that that will not be the case uh, against most teams additionally if they were trying to get off of money they could have done that in a lot of different ways other than taking on a guy who's getting paid more over the next three years than they owed Carmelo Anthony like they they could have maybe you don't get off of the full 27 million million maybe the hawks send back 10 or how there are a bunch of different ways that could have happened but and maybe you give you give up a, a less protected first because that one that they gave up is i believe it's 21 to 30 that if it's in that range that the hawks get it otherwise it's seconds or something like that but again there are there are other ways if that was the goal to do it and backup point guard is something you know there is supply there's imperfect supply but dennis Schroeder is imperfect supply too so i'm happy that he's doing well you know that he's had some better that he's doing well is overstating it that he's had some better games and we'll go through it but i think that's a good transition unless oh uh, that was the other thing you wanted to talk about terrence ferguson a little bit right well I, I just thought it was good to see him in that dallas game using his athleticism a little bit more and he flew in for try to get some tip dunks he's been hitting the offensive glass a little bit more when he gets out in transition it's breathtaking how far away from the rim he's able to take off uh now he missed the layup of course <laughs> when he did that uh but i mean it's just there's so many guys who are these amazing leapers and just don't actually 
jump very often you know you could put andrew wiggins in that category gerald green was someone who's in that category and i think part of the reason why he actually looked pretty decent in last year's playoffs was he started jumping more uh you know and actually like playing with more effort so i mean he's a guy who has these some physical skills and you know he has been his development has been retarded by the fact that he is so skinny and that it's gotten a little better but not amazingly better but i think the big worry is just that he takes so few shots uh but you know little baby steps here he's certainly under the microscope some uh, as far as on this team he's not being set up for anything other than just a wide open spot up three so i I don't know i mean the numbers on him have been really bad so far and you know i'm not sure that he's really a great defensive player at this point in time too due to the lack of strength although he does try but you know he's got a 3.4 pr and he's doing that terrible double we should come up with with someone to name that after by the way the like really low usage 10.5 percent in his case and also like terrible true shooting as well yeah that can be a project of ours for the next yeah we'll, we'll take some suggestions for that on twitter actually of who which yeah. part of it, i mean that's i'll like, do some basketball reference yeah, searches too. I mean, you know the the trenton hassle you know like that one of these uh there, there are definitely some guys uh who've been out there that do not shoot the ball well and have really low usage also um but no i mean i think uh, overall this is probably too negative on the thunder just the 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 shooter thing was on my mind because like we've kind of been getting these comments about it um yeah i mean their defense is awesome i think that's that's an important thing to understate and i think or to to restate and i think paul george has taken on a little bit more of the the burden which has been which has been good i would say overall i mean it's not necessarily an every game thing but he's had some some real good performances out there and then i wondered about jeremy grant's fit in the in the starting lineup. i thought it was more like he's starting because they don't really have anybody else and i mean offensively there's still some still some concerns there just because he's a more willing three-point shooter at this point which is good but he's still not making a ton of them but i mean defensively they've been absolutely monstrous with him and adams together and you think about that the success that this team has had so far when russell westbrook has played less than half of their minutes that's pretty striking let's move now to the mavs four and eight two and four in their last six their negative 3.3 net rating is 21st in the nba they do have the 14th ranked offense though that is a massive improvement from last year but the defense has been pretty disappointing uh 112 defensive rating is 24th and they project for 28 wins which put them 13th in the western conference and there's a lot of things you can say about this team but you know i just wanted to talk about what luka Doncic is doing so far here this isn't going to be the full breakdown that he richly deserves but just some things that have stood out i mean i think he's been everything that we hoped he would be so far would you agree with that yeah i i've been the thing that's been most surprising to me is that his scoring touch is better than i expected early on i thought he would have to kind of learn the nba differences a little bit more than he has yeah i mean now his shooting feels a little bit fluky you know i mean he is a very talented shot maker but right now he's 17 of 35 on floaters his floater looks so good especially if it's kind of a short range one i mean like the pace that he plays with i think part of why he's so good on the floaters is just that part of the reason why a floater is such a difficult shot is that most guys are going pretty fast like you're going towards the rim and when you're not jumping straight up and down you have to just kind of adjust for like okay i'm moving forward i can't shoot the shot with the normal strength that i would because i'm already moving forward so then it's going to push it too far so i have to shoot it 
a little bit softer but how much softer do i shoot it based on how quickly i'm going forward and you know sometimes you're going forward really fast you might be going forward at a different speed than you normally are it's just so much less consistent of a shot than just a normal jump shot where it's like okay i know the distance i am this is how hard i have to shoot it there are just more variables involved that you just you have to adjust for in your head but the guys with the best coordination your mike conley's your steph curry's can do that and and i think luca is looking like he's kind of in that category but part of the reason i think that the floaters are easier for him is that he plays at such a deliberate pace and he's able to shoot over the top of guys who are smaller who are guarding him and use his body to create space and feel comfortable that he's kind of at the same speed every time he shoots that floater and he's doing it pretty slow and really the slower you're going i think the easier it is to shoot that shot like russell westbrook for example has a terrible floater like brandon ingram has a terrible floater you know those are guys who are kind of always going 100 miles an hour towards the rim uh and luca's the opposite of that he just he'll slow down he's got a lot of gordon hayward in his game uh, as well where he can euro step and then just once he's kind of slowed down it's really hard when the other guy is going slow to jump and time your jump and then he's able to use his height because he's larger than a lot of the guys that are guarding him um He's also looked pretty good finishing around the rim. That was something that was a concern. Uh, but, he, you know, he's totally good there for a rookie, 12, uh, 21 out of 34. So over 60% there. And, and getting to the line, he's been not amazing, but good enough. You know, 28% free throw rate for a rookie. You know, rookies usually don't get to the line that much. I think, you know, he had, drew a lot of bullshit fouls, especially like Euro fouls in transition uh, or just, you know, kind of uh, rule bending fouls that were just you know he wasn't really getting an advantage and forcing them to follow just oh you put your hand in i'm going to kind of uh, draw the call uh, but he hasn't really been getting those kind of calls but he's been getting enough for a rookie i think that's something that he's going to get better at. and then the other thing this is probably the biggest thing i think is going to regress he's got 58 points on 52 jump shots off the dribble and all of those shots are difficult i mean some of the step backs that he's hitting and hitting from three are ridiculous i mean he's shooting 40 percent from three and more than half of his shots are, are off the dribble and probably at least half of those shots that are off the dribble are step backs and so i don't know that he can continue to shoot that well i mean even in europe you know he was 34 percent taking some very difficult attempts as well these these attempts overall probably aren't quite as difficult for him but he could also be better as well but that's probably the biggest thing i think will regress uh defensively you know it's not great i mean if he gets switched up onto somebody like dennis Schroeder, just blew by him in the late clock like just had his hips turned no no real attempt or uh, ability to get in front you know you'll see him get blown by quite a few times he's trying i don't think he's like you know and he's got some pretty decent smarts but i think he's going to remain a liability on that end even in the regular season and then you know if these guys get into a playoff series i think he could uh, end up being severely targeted there but he's you know we knew that was going to be the case about him we've i think i mean is there anything that has disappointed about him so far to you i i can't really think of anything to be honest not off the top of my head i mean he did have some turnover issues at one point but i this you know i i think i'm largely i mean he's at 20 percent right now first of all that's something that often tones down you know except for d'angelo russell most young guys with the ball in their hands all the time turn the ball over more earlier in their career but i wanted to throw another theory at you with Doncic's floater game and this is an idea i've had before which is that guys who are really good passers might get a little bit more space for their floater because if it's kind of that two-on-one situation especially like that he you're so worried yeah. that he's going to pass the ball 
ball to somebody else that you're not contesting as zealously because if you go at him, then you're probably making a different choice. And so he might just have a little bit more real estate. And as you mentioned, he's taller than a guy like Trey Young, so he doesn't need as much to to get to get off. So people have to make a more explicit choice if they want to really contest his floaters. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that theory, especially when you consider who his bigs are, right? Like the big is not coming over and making him rush that shot. Usually it's going to be the guy who was initially guarding him uh, who's in the picture because of the gravity of DeAndre or or if he happens to be playing with uh, Dwight Powell, mostly with DeAndre. Uh, the big always wants to step back and Luca's not coming at the rim so hard that it's like, okay, I got to come over and help really hard here. I mean, he hasn't had that many assists so far. He's averaging 4.5 assists, but they have a lot of other guys who do stuff here uh, with the ball in their hands. So that's not uh, the end of the world. A few other notes uh, on these guys. I, I thought one thing, uh, this is a Luca related note, but I thought we saw how, you know, because the thought was, all right, he's OKC, he's playing against Paul George. You know, George had the assignment on him quite a bit. Like, oh, he's not going to be able to beat Paul George. Like, Paul George is the sort of long athletic defender. And so George was out on the floor denying. OKC does a lot of that. Uh, he wanted to go to, to a DHO. And basically, as soon as George stepped out to deny him, he cut back door and got a nice back door, forced help, and set up an open three on the other side. So he was able to use, you know, just an example of how he can continue to be successful, even guarded by a pretty athletic player by using his smarts and you know he's going to struggle against guys with a lot of length and a lot of quickness you know he's not like kicking paul george's ass all the time but that i thought that was just an example of like you know the type of brain that he has as a guy who's like basically just turned 19 here um a couple other things for them harrison barnes is really struggling you know he came back from that hamstring and we've seen him come back from kind of long-term injuries before and really struggle in in uh 2015-16 really the only other like big injury of his career I think he had a high ankle sprain, missed about a month, and really was not himself for quite some time after that. Arguably, that even ruined uh, nearly his entire season there. Uh, Barnes right now, and remember, you know, he's a guy who's doing a lot of his damage on offense. 49% 49% true shooting, 9.1 PR. He's still shooting plenty, 23% usage. You know, that's about what you would think. He's even turning the ball over more. And we just, we haven't seen him get featured as much, you know, and that, that's been part of it, right? I mean, for a couple of years now, they haven't had any offensive options. And so, so much of what they did was, all right, small, small pick and roll, get the switch, throw it to him at the elbow. Whoever we used to be guarding JJ Beret is on him now. Let him go to work, get to that mid-ranger, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it was built around him and we haven't seen that so much i think that with smith with Doncic in particular now the hope is that he could go into uh, back into more of a role like he had uh, in golden state but you know still has not been able to hit shots hasn't been comfortable uh, quite yet there and they actually went on a huge run in the first half against okc with dorian finney smith who's who's been fantastic so far uh, smith who or finney smith i should say there are real questions about whether he was ever going to be able to make a shot in this league after summer league two years ago and then he missed nearly all last year with a quad issue and he looks very very comfortable shooting the the three you know it's still very early he's 18 out of 40 but it wouldn't surprise me if that's close to more threes than he made all last year and you know they even was like coming off a screen shooting a three I mean, he just looks so much better and more comfortable taking that shot than he did in the past so that's really encouraging and he's a guy who has a lot of defensive potential uh, and can play at the four. He's uh, 25 this year. 
you know this is his third year in the league so he'll be restricted after this season not going to do much other than make open threes but with his defense you know i think he he can give them something uh if he continues to shoot like this he can and you asked how close this is to last year 18 this year 20 last year yeah so yeah he's getting pretty close pretty close to that line i also want to make a brief mention we can well i'm sure we'll talk about him more later maxi kleba is one of my favorite like under the radar players to watch in the league and i mean he did a lot of fun things last year the most memorable being that dunk on julius randall which was just awesome and the thing that's been most surprising like he his block rate this year 3.6 per 100 possessions and yeah obviously he's not gonna play 100 possessions in a game but I mean, 2.7 per 36 minutes. He's just been getting after it. And the game against OKC was a pretty strong example of that. He had four blocks in the first quarter uh, in that game. Uh, the latest on Dirk Nowitzki, uh, he was on the Mavs broadcast in this game. He said that he just continued to have setbacks uh, with the, the the tendon. I assume he was talking about his Achilles tendon uh, when he tries to ramp up his activity and, and would get swelling. And so they've just had to be extremely conservative. Uh, the hope is that he can do some more running this week, maybe like engage in some c- controlled practice situations uh but you know i mean really especially at his age you're kind of in uncharted territory trying to come back from a surgery and you know i think he's just he's frustrated that he doesn't know exactly how his body is going to respond uh when he tries to ramp up the activity and it seems like for a lot of guys i mean mike conley uh, has had this a couple of times as well where with soreness in this achilles tendon that you just it's very tricky and you have to ramp up your activity very slowly uh to avoid like getting more inflammation uh all right where do you want to go next here i guess we get still got to talk uh lakers kings before we go yeah so let's do those two the sacramento kings are seven and six two and three since the last 15 and 60 their negative 1.6 net rating puts them 20th they are 21st in offense a still impressive 15th in defense 538 projects them to have 28 wins which would tie them for 13th in the western conference and still i mean I mean, Sacramento, even if they've lost a few more games, they've been more consistent game in, game out, competitive than I, I ever expected. It's most notably in the time before they got Bogdanovich back, but even now, and a lot of different guys have been stepping up, which has been encouraging. Foremost among those has been De'Aaron Fox, and we'll do a full breakdown on him probably later on. But I think it's clear that he is playing by far the best right now of any of those 2017 draft point guards who were selected uh, in the top nine. Uh, and he, to be quite honest, is, I, I wasn't down on him by any means, but I, I thought he was probably going to be the worst of those four guys, uh, Ball, Fultz, Smith, uh, and fox and he clearly has been the best so far and his jump shot looks better i mean he's actually showing more confidence getting even to some step backs uh you know and he's really been so key for them uh with his ability to run and push the pace which has been a big component of their offense well and one thing i want to say about fox so far we'll do the video analysis later but he's getting to the line a ton this year and that's a massive difference so last year if you want to do it per 36 minutes 3.5 free throw attempts per game this year seven free throw attempt rate is basically doubled and he's not getting a ton of shots at the rim but if you're not getting a ton of shots at the rim but you're getting fouled all the time it's fine yeah and he's also taking 23 percent of his shots from three uh and hitting 41 percent of those now you know i think that's probably going to go down to some degree um yeah I, mean, I, I hate to rain on the parade though i mean you made a good point when we were talking yesterday that their upcoming schedule looks pretty rough and while certainly they're fundamental you know they've had some nice wins over teams that in theory they weren't supposed to beat some nice road wins uh you know their point differential is is pretty much right about where they are as, as a 500 team uh but it, it doesn't the schedule is going to be pretty hard for really the next month or so the next game that san antonio or sorry that sacramento plays i'm thinking about this because playing san antonio on Monday, 
Monday. The next game they play against a team that is not in the playoff mix. So that doesn't necessarily, I mean, you don't know who's going to make it, is December 4th when they play Philly. Or sorry, Phoenix. Philly's in the playoff mix. So a lot of good teams, a lot of road games, like at Memphis, at Houston, back to back. And even some of their, you know, some of their home games, you're seeing they're going, oh, maybe they could win that. And I'm not saying they're going to lose all these games. They aren't. They'll win a couple of them. But th- that will be a way for them to fall back to earth. And they already have a little bit. I mean, their one win in the last four was that game against Minnesota, which helped fuel the Jimmy Butler trade. And that team, we, we've there's a lot of great writing about how they've been on the brink. We'll, we've talked about them on Saturday's podcast. We'll do that again soon enough. So yeah, I mean, with Sacramento, I think they are definitely better than I expected. Like there was this idea about how many tiers are there at the bottom of the league. And I think they're, they've moved up in that better more than I expected, which is a very good thing for them moving forward. And I wanted to see how the Lakers game, how you thought that affected your approach on this team. Yeah, it was worrisome that they really struggled to score. Now, part of that was just good shooters missing open shots. And I think also reintegrating Bogdanovich has been a little bit of a struggle. He's coming back from injury, so he's not going to be perfect right away. Buddy Heald, in particular, who has shot the ball very well as a king, you know, had some wide open ones in the third quarter that maybe could have changed the game, although they ended up ultimately getting blown out in that game by the Lakers. They still really just don't have anybody other than Fox on this team who can beat their man. You know, like when Bielitsa tries to put it on the floor, it's just, he just can't get by his guy no matter who it is. Uh, And, you know, Frank Mason isn't going to be able to get to the basket and finish. They do end up with a lot of mid-rangers. They take some pretty difficult three-pointers, but not enough three-pointers overall. You know, again, I think that's just a a lack of penetration because they do have guys who can shoot the three. We said Fox is shooting more. You know, they usually have either Heald or Bogdanovich out there. Those guys are pretty good shooters uh justin jackson will fire him up shumpert actually has been shooting reasonably well though he's come back to earth a, a little bit bielitsa is out there at the four they played bagley some at the five as well i think they've been doing more of that lately with harry giles who uh not in the rotation any longer he was actually just assigned to the stockton kings uh costa kufos is okay on defense still but he is just a really awful offensive player at this point as a pick and roll guy i mean he the best shot he's going to get as a roll man is like a floater from the free throw line which is uh newsflash is not a great shot so when he was out there you know they'd throw in the ball and it just would kind of die you know when he'd catch the ball at the free throw line and just didn't really have an opening um and then i think another thing that's been an underrated weakness for this team that I just don't see getting any better is their defensive rebounding. Uh, they, you know, Cauley Stein isn't like the burliest box out guy. Bielitsa is a way below average rebounder as a four. He can't get off the ground. And then, you know, they're playing basically, they don't really have any three men on the team. Uh, and they're really small at just about every position except for center. So, uh, and Fox, you know, he's not a great rebounder. They've got Mason, uh, not a great rebounder. Heald, Bogdanovich, like these guys are just not great on the glass. So they uh, they really got hurt by Tyson Chandler, uh, some in that Lakers game Lakers are a pretty good offensive rebounding team uh so I don't know like it does seem like a little bit of smoke and mirrors here uh, to be as good as they are and a lot of it's dependent on the pace too I think that's something that teams can kind of be more prepared for as time goes on uh, and the Kings kind of just get that reputation as being someone who pushes the pace uh but you know they certainly like the the important thing for them is that Fox looks good they can take solace in that they can take less solace in the fact that they picked uh Malvin Bagley over (laughs) Luka Doncic although Bagley did have uh one move where he actually went to his left shoulder in the post it was a, a fadeaway jump shot but it, you know that was a little bit of progress at least 
uh shot it with his left hand but he at least turned that way uh but you know i mean it doesn't seem like bagley is anywhere close to really contributing uh at that positive level for them well it's also good that they're actually playing bagley at center which i think is the end game with him i mean maybe i I don't know where he slots in there like where he ends up as a center but defensively it's a much more natural fit it ties in with the the parts of defense that he's better at and unless his lateral quicks get way better i would expect that is his final position and they had a lot of centers like i mean collie stein kufos zebo who's basically non-existent in the rotation and i think it's sometimes that leads to guys getting put in weird spots i mean we're seeing this a little bit with jaron jackson jr not that i'm criticizing what memphis is doing with him but it's just it's a good example of like a guy getting put in a weird peg aaron gordon had this at various moments in his career and at a certain juncture if somebody is your most important piece to evaluate you want to put them in the place that is most representative of what they're going to be doing yeah i mean i think the biggest people who can't be happy about this are uh the celtics since they have that unprotected king's pick but we'll see where they end up at the end of the year and obviously there's the, the lottery reform hey, as well it's not unprotected it's top one protected well but but as far as the kings are concerned it's yes yeah yes um yeah and they'll and they'll probably i mean they'll be indifferent to losing later on in the season but i mean they have a lot of guys i think they'll they'll end up probably pulling some games out i haven't looked at their april schedule yet but i'm sure that's going to be something that happens anything else on them or do you want to move to the los angeles lakers yeah let's do it what do you got for them the lakers are seven and six after winning on sunday night against atlanta in a very bizarre game and they're five and two since last 15 and 60 they're plus 1.2 in net rating they actually moved down after winning a game which is kind of funny they're 14th in net rating 13th in offense and 16th in defense so they've actually been sliding on offense and moving up on defense which is interesting for a few reasons projected wins 46 which would tie them for sixth in the west i think it's three teams at the moment we're recording this that 530 is projected for six seven and eight and i'll talk just briefly that game was my kind of secondary for a lot of a lot of the day but the lakers what what was so weird to me and i'm gonna just need to keep an eye on this is that i mentioned in the denver section that their offense looked really stagnant late there were a lot of plays in the later portion of this game and remember atlanta's defense is awful like this is not a team that is challenging they have a lot of places that you can attack they don't really you know like they could have gone after trey young they could have gone after Marcus Spellman, lots of different things. And a lot of it ended up being in the late portion of this game. Let's all stand around and watch LeBron. And while a lot of LeBron teams end up doing that, and we're getting to a point with him, kind of like with Russell Westbrook, where it's like, if you see the same players' teams look similarly in similar situations with different coaches and different teams, maybe there's something else that's going on. But it's just so bizarre because it's just saying they're going, this isn't what's good for LeBron either. LeBron is, you know, he's a passing maestro. He's the best passer of his generation get some ball movement get some people movement like just give him windows so he can do things and i just i get angry watching them in the last three minutes of games because they could be doing more than they're doing yeah and lebron isn't even really attacking you know and i thought early on in the season they had some more ball movement stuff they tried to get him at the elbow but in these end of game situations and just overall in isos like number one that doesn't really seem like they're doing as much to get smaller players onto him but then even when he has the matchup against guys that just can't deal with him at all you know he would have a matchup for example in the kings game against i can't remember who it was now i thought i had it in my notes but i don't i think it was uh bielitsa and he just goes to a step back three with 10 on the shot clock and you know he can hit that shot going to his left but it's like you know you the reason you're lebron james is because you can beat nemanja bielitsa off the dribble and force help and throw a pass and i think the numbers here are really telling 
he's only in the 36th percentile in iso scoring and then when you include his passes you're they're even lower than that 27th percentile you know and there are not many of these shots this is a small sample to be sure and part of the the problem has been the spacing too and when he's driven he hasn't really done that well he's only got 22 points on 25 possessions to drive to the rim but you remember how like when they first signed lebron and then it was like oh yeah you know we're gonna get playmakers for him so that he can like get the ball in the post which didn't really make much sense because as soon as you throw it to him in the post then those playmakers become just more guys who can't shoot but the idea is he was gonna post up well he's only had 20 post up possessions all season that's less than two a game that he's actually finished in the post he's been very effective on those but you know it's really been more lately pick and roll iso and, and there have been times when they put shooting around him that he's absolutely destroyed everyone in those situations but you know I mean, ethan was talking about this the other day that he just you know he has not been this irresistible force for this team even offensively you know and just has not been and because of his brain and because of his size and because of his passing ability you know he's still a very effective player and he's going to be a very effective player for a long time uh but he just doesn't seem to be just this this unstoppable force at the end of games like we've seen in the last couple of years in particular last year yeah i mean last year that cleveland team what pushed them from being yeah even though they ended up with a shaky record what kept them alive was being amazing in clutch games and a lot of that credit had gone to the combination of lebron and Kyrie in the past and Kyrie was gone so a lot of that went on lebron and defensively he's been you know more missed than hit i would say overall and sure you can be optimistic that that will come in and later but this is also a team that at least this year probably not moving forward depending on what they get in free agency that probably isn't going to be playing for a title so yeah he will ramp it up but remember like in the 2016 nba finals when they won and lebron was spectacular i thought for the first couple games of that finals he was still coasting a little bit and then he really kicked it in i think somewhere around game three and if they need if they're going to make a run this year the lakers need that lebron from the first game of the first round the good news though is that they've been defending much better and we had noted when they signed tyson chandler how much better they had been playing when they had a true center and that was javel who you know doesn't have the greatest defensive history but you know has played pretty well uh, as a laker and that they just hemorrhaged points when they you know didn't have a true center in the game well now that they have tyson chandler he's played three games with the team uh his defensive rating is 89.3 that's what they've given up with him on the floor and then overall defensive rating 97 point four uh, in the these three games that includes some garbage time but in games with uh, they've been well below a point per possession anytime one of those two centers is on the floor they've also been killing the offensive glass 35 percent offensive rebounds in the last three games and chandler has been a big part of that but yeah and and yeah. i mean that swung a couple of these games i mean the the big offensive rebounds that he had in his debut were huge and then he had five against the hawks which ended up giving them a couple of extra possessions and in a game decided by one point all of those matter yeah so we'll see I I mean, they, they have won three in a row now. They haven't beaten anyone too awesome. The schedule also has gotten easier. I mean, they had a pretty tough schedule in the beginning of the year. You know, there weren't really any easy breaks for them in the beginning of the year. Uh, a few other notes from this Kings game. I think that, you know, Kyle Kuzma is just rounding out parts of his game just a little bit. You know, he's he was really bad defensively last year, but you'll see him, you know, he's not amazing now, but you'll see him actually, you know, make some plays. He'll get out on the floor uh, denying a little bit. Uh, and then offensively, he's throwing a few nice, pass he had a really nice alley-oop when he drove baseline and, and threw it up to Chandler for a tip and so 
just there's just little tiny things that you're seeing in his game where he's just becoming more of a winning player more of a a guy who is going to do more than just put up his own stats which you know he certainly is capable of doing and he hasn't had as many chances uh, to create on his own this year but he still managed to, to play pretty well uh rondo's standstill three really like it's getting to the point where i actually expect it to go in a reasonable amount now he doesn't look to take that shot that much but when he's just left wide open, you know, it, I don't think you can just straight up leave him anymore. Now, that means like when you, they throw the ball to him, you probably need to close out. You can't just stand under the rim. That doesn't mean don't help off of him because he still isn't looking to take that shot. But you got to at least close out on him. And then when he drives, you know, he's not necessarily going to kill you there. Um Contavious Caldwell Pope against the Kings. You know, I didn't see what happened against uh, the Hawks, but against the Kings, he was actually playing more than Josh Hart. And, you know, everyone is killing that contract one year, 12 million as like, oh man, you know, that's just the LeBron clutch sports gift. Uh, But no, actually KCP at one year, 12 million based on how he played last year, other than the one year or the one month he was under house arrest actually is like, was a really good player. And this year he can't hit a shot. He's had that knee tendonitis that he's dealt with all through camp. He hasn't brought the same energy in transition. I mean, he's been the one guy who hasn't really benefited that much. You know, he used to be a guy who could really get out for some flying dunks in transition. We haven't seen that from him. Uh, his confidence with his jumper it looks way off. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's hurt them. And, you know, they've gone to this jumbo starting lineup now without either Hart or KCP in the game. And I think that's probably, you know, because they're so big, the spacing isn't great. But, you know, they also have a, a little more versatility there at times. Uh, anything else you want to say on these guys at all? Just briefly, I want to keep an eye on two things for Brandon Ingram. He's only played in, you know, it's a sh- small sample size for him because he was suspended and missed, missed a series of games because of that. His three-point attempt rate is barely higher than last year. He's at 16% of his shots as opposed to 14% last year, and both of those are crazy low. And so far this year, he did have six attempts from the line tonight, but free throw attempt rate is also lower than it was either of his first two years. Some of that could be the the weird spacing and some, some of the figuring out the lineup stuff here. But Ingram, I think, has the biggest adjustment of any of the Lakers young guys to make playing with LeBron just because of what he did well last year. And I'm just going to need to keep an eye on how that process is going. Well, and here's the other big problem for him, 48% for two like that's just not good enough for him and he's just like he just has to find a way to get easier shots like a turnaround contested mid-ranger out of the post for brandon ingram is not a good shot for this team they have too many other guys who who can attack on this team now and so he's got to be able to find something else to do and i think you know when he's gotten the ball at the three-point line like i haven't seen him just like passing up shots it just seems like he's like not really standing there that much you know i think like like i haven't noticed they just throw it to him at the three-point point line and he's just like not willing to shoot like he's been fairly aggressive it's just he's not doesn't seem to be receiving the ball in that position for whatever reason uh so we'll see i mean he also he sprained his ankle against the kings on saturday night you know he also has kind of struggled through his career with little nagging things here and there uh so I don't know. I mean, I I still feel like these guys, you know, that 46 win projection from 538, you know, that seems just about right where they're headed to me. But I could yeah, easily see, argue I could see them much. getting better though. I mean, you know, I could see LeBron starting sure. to play better. I could see them starting to hit more shots. You know, overall as a team, they're 35% from three. They got up 38 three-pointers tonight, which is, you know, they haven't really been that low in three-point attempt rate. And, you know, so I think the shooting issues are a little bit overblown. Uh, I mean, you know, we pointed to that obviously, and it'd be great if they had a ton more shooting. Shooting. I think the shooting is kind of manifesting itself more in just the way LeBron is playing and his numbers maybe uh, than anything else. 
Yeah, and we're going to, I think, get some clarification between now and the next time we record on them, because while it's only a small trip and it's not like the opponents are star-studded, they have at Orlando, then at Miami on a back-to-back, and then at Cleveland. And so those are all teams they should handle. I mean, Miami, their defense can give some team, can give a lot of teams trouble. But if they struggle through those games and pull them out, if then that's one thing. If they lose one or two of them, think about it a little bit differently. And while they're going to, the Lakers are going to look meaningfully different in March than they do right now because of the suspensions and all the weird stuff with this team i, w- I want to get a better sense of who they are even just at this moment so like maybe that sunday game against miami will be one that i watch closely all right well uh, the good news for you as listeners is when we split up the 15 and 60 we end up talking about these teams for a lot longer so uh this is an hour 30 of recording time probably a little longer once we or a little shorter once we cut out the, the silences uh, anything you want to talk about before we go danny i'll reiterate the jimmy butler stuff not only our podcast i wrote a cba centric piece on it for for the athletic and if you haven't listened to it yet i released on friday a podcast with tom haberstrow for real gm radio and we ended up talking about his steph curry piece and then a lot about kind of where offense and defense and the trade-offs are going it's a, a an interesting conversation that the the type of thing that doesn't necessarily happen a lot on podcasts because it's just not time sensitive it's just like where the league is going right now and so if you want to kind of hear our thoughts on that you can check it out yeah i'm looking forward to listening to that one probably on the way to oracle on tuesday actually i don't get as much time to listen to other podcasts as i might like and uh when are we doing the twitter show we're doing it thursday this week uh for uh warriors at rockets that is the plan yes yeah hopefully curry will be back for that although it might be a better game if he's not uh i, I have a feeling he won't be though that kind of just seems like the way it's yeah with that, i, I that i'm play. guessing i'm guessing that he'll be somewhere somewhere shortly after that especially because that game is on the tail end of a back-to-back so we'll see i just hope he's i don't back. think he's gonna play in the front end yeah november 29th yeah. is the one i want him to be back for at raptors Oof. uh all right well thanks for listening we'll talk to y'all uh probably tuesday night we'll be back again till then you must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of dunked on the locked on podcast network has more hoops for you locked on has a podcast on every nba team if you're a Lakers fan, a Bucks fan, a Celtics fan, or a Mavericks fan, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily podcast on your favorite team. All 30 NBA teams have a daily podcast at Locked On. Search on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.